think Easter is my favorite holiday, uh, just because when you stop and really think about what Easter means, no matter how low you go, you're headed up, <laughs> because he overcame death uh, while we meet, that's why we're here. If you will turn with me in your scriptures to Matthew 27, read a couple of verses, 66 through, I mean 62 through 66. You'll stand in God's honor as I read his word. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, just fill this place. Fill your people and... Father, speak through your word. Um, we need it, Lord. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for why we're here. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Guide us in what remains. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The motto of our enemy is, let's stop God's plan. Now, as you go back to creation... Pretty amazing stuff. You know, God created everything. He created the world, and he said, this is good. And then he created man and woman. And he said, as he looked at all of creation, this is very good. So we know something must have happened. Because, I mean, let's face it, we look around, and often we say, this is not good. And this is not very good. This is crazy. And there's a verse in Ecclesiastes, it's 7, verse 29, in the contemporary English version. And here's what the wisdom writer says. He said, I did learn one thing. When God created us, we were completely honest. Now think about this. Adam and Eve are in perfect relationship with one another and with God. And things are as they're supposed to be in paradise, in a garden, and they were completely honest with each other. How often does that occur today? People walk up to each other and they're thinking, what did he mean by that? Or what is she trying to say? Or I have no clue what is going on. And why is that? Because there are so many head games that happen. And there's not a complete honesty. So what happened? What happened that changed everything? And we know what happened if we read our Bibles and Genesis. There's a serpent that comes along and 
tempts Adam and Eve. And they have this forbidden fruit that God made it really clear. Don't eat that. And of course we know what happened. They ate it. And, and you know we often look at that and we say that that was an apple. But we don't really know for sure. I tell you what. I think when a peach is really perfectly ripe. So maybe. Since it doesn't. Maybe it was a peach. I'm not sure what the forbidden fruit was. All I know is that both Adam and Eve took a bite. And it changed everything. As a result of that. No more paradise. <laughs> so much for being completely honest with one another. As a matter of fact, that was just half the verse I quoted. Um, he, he said, I did learn one thing. We were completely honest when God created us, but now we have twisted minds, is what the rest of it says. And boy, is there some truth to that. It's just crazy out there in what we see. And, and so God brought forth his judgment because that perfect harmony was broken. That's what we call sin, being separated from God. Twisted minds where once there was complete honesty that occurred. And so in God's judgment, it came time for that serpent who played the major role in paradise being broken. And he gave this prophecy. He said, there will be one who comes from the seed of woman who will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And of course, the devil, he's not all-knowing. He doesn't know everything that's going to happen. He's not all-powerful. But he wanted to make sure, I've got to stop God's plan. Because I don't want my head crushed. And so, as you go through the scriptures, you see where the devil tries to wipe out mankind. Where he tries to make sure that promise is broken so that he will not end up defeated. Uh, you have Moses and, and you have all the little baby boys who are not surviving birth because of the command of Pharaoh. Yet Moses ended up in a basket floating downstream and ended up being raised by Pharaoh's daughter. You have Noah, it says in Genesis 6. Listen, this is crazy. Genesis 6 verse 4, it says that every inclination of every thought of humankind was wicked. This is how bad things had gotten. And the devil was grinning, I am convinced. Now it's going to happen. God's going to bring forth His judgment. He's going to get rid of mankind. And I'm going to slither on through like the good serpent I can be, or a really bad one. And of course, we know God's mercy, this bivocational preacher who preached while he was building an ark. And yet, there were mankind was spared, although many died. And so, once again, the devil lost. And then there was Esther, a beauty pageant contestant. And yet she rose to be queen, saved the Jews, and the promise of the one who was to come. There was Ruth, who was funneled in from another country. <laughs> and God would use her in the divine line of the Savior who was to come. And so, finally, you move on down and you come to the time of the Jesus Christ. And the devil looks and he says, I think this is the guy. I'm going to wipe him out. This has got to stop. And he found some unlikely allies to us. It was the religious people. It was the head Jewish leaders. Those who served in places of power 
in the church of that day. What happened? It was about them. They looked and they saw Jesus and they were jealous. And, and they did not understand what he was trying to do and, and who he was. Why? Because they were broken. And we are all broken in some way. But Jesus came to heal. Jesus came for us. You know, you go through the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 12, we see there is a man. He has a withered hand. It's on the Sabbath. Oh no, you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. You're supposed to rest. You can't heal. And Jesus healed this man's hand. And they immediately attacked him. Why? Because he was a bad rule follower. He cared more about people than he did about the rules. And here's Jesus' answer in verse 11. He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls in a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then verse 14, he says, But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. In Matthew 26, two days before the Passover festival, we read this in Matthew 26, that they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, just not during the festival because this might cause a riot among the people. Man, they were plotting behind the scenes, the religious folk, to get rid of the only one who really is good. Jesus faced mock trials. They tried their best to bring witnesses to accuse him of crimes worthy of execution. Finally, the high priest turned and he spoke to Jesus and he said, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. He is worthy of death. And of course, we celebrated Friday here on Good Friday. It certainly wasn't good for Jesus Christ and the suffering that he faced and the persecution that he faced as he was attacked, as he was rejected, and he physically died upon a cross. They placed him, his lifeless corpse, in a tomb. They made sure the tomb was sealed with a large boulder. And then it was sealed with other small rocks and possibly with ropes to hold it still and wax with a king's uh, signet so that no one would break in. They had Roman soldiers who guarded the tomb. Groups of four... And they would change and rotate as many as 50 of the soldiers so they would be fresh and alert to make sure that no one would come to the tomb. So why did this occur? Well, the religious leaders, they came to the Roman government and they said to them, Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. Please make sure the body is secure or the disciples will come and steal the body. Pilate replied, Take a guard, go. Make the tomb as secure as you know how. Pilate must have thought in his mind, What are they afraid of? 
Nobody can come back from the dead, and he is dead. These people are kind of crazy. Or maybe he was just laughing at them, thinking, man, unjustified fears. You, you guys need to just relax. Why are you, why are you so upset? And this flaky presupposition, the pilots are going to come, and I mean, the disciples are going to come, and they're going to steal his body. The disciples, are you kidding me? These guys are scared to death. They're hiding away. They're afraid of the persecution that's coming their way. And, and they're praying and they're desperate. And they're, they're not interested in storming a tomb that is locked by a huge rock. They're locked in their own room. Out of fear. The fear was not because of the disciples doing anything. That certainly wasn't going to occur, I think what really terrified them is just maybe he will come back from the dead. You know, the best barb they could throw at him is they saw him do all these miracles and heal people. And you did that by the power of the devil. Are you kidding me? And yet that is exactly what they said to him. And the biggest proof the biggest proof of his power was a dear friend by the name of Lazarus who was placed in a tomb. We know the story. He'd been there several days. Jesus came and, Lazarus, come forth. And as the old preacher said, he had to call him by name or the whole graveyard would be empty and they'd be coming up out of the graves. You know. But he specifically spoke to his friend, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. And you talk about a testimony... No wonder they were afraid. This guy, Lazarus. Oh, man, grave clothes and all. Got up, walked out. So every time they looked at Lazarus in that time that he walked around, <laughs> they were reminded that he was dead, but now he is alive. And they were reminded at the start of Jesus' ministry when he spoke about the temple being destroyed in three days being raised again. Maybe, just maybe, the one who brought the dead back to life will come back to life after death. You see, there were the soldiers that were there. The tomb was sealed on the outside. But what happened did not happen from outside to inside. What happened happened inside, then to outside. His Jesus conquered death and came back from the grave. Can you imagine what it must have been like as the soldiers were there and they thought, Man, this is going to be a dull night. Nothing to worry about. Nobody's coming here. These Jews are out of their minds. But in Matthew 28, 2, he says, There was a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord rolled back the stone and sat on the rock. The guards shook like dead men. Yeah, I bet. And then we read in early history that within just a few weeks after this event, there were 20,000 new believers in Jerusalem. Why? Because he's alive. He came back from the dead. Uh, skip on to Acts chapter, the end of chapter 8, beginning of chapter 9. Stephen, who's a leader in the church, he is preaching the truth, and people are getting angry because they're under conviction. They literally kill him with stones. 
And as he is dying, he says familiar words we've heard from Jesus. Uh, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Then he died. And there was a guy there watching this. A guy named Saul, who we would later know in the scriptures as Paul. And he, he must have thought, what is going on? He is dying. He is literally being stoned to death. And as he says this, he has a look of peace on his face. And he's, he's saying to God, forgive them. And so God was working on Saul, even as he headed out to persecute other believers of, of the way, of the followers, of, of a guy that presumed dead but they're saying he's alive this Jesus Christ and on the way on the road to Damascus he has an encounter where he is blinded (laughs) he falls down and he says Lord Lord who are you And, and, and Jesus says why are you persecuting me Saul and in some of the older translations it talks about the um, why are you kicking against the goads? And, and there's a picture with, it, with an oxen, and they would use these devices that they would attach to the oxen and in order when the oxen would uh, go in a direction he wasn't supposed to go, he would feel some pain because of this device attached to him, and it would move him in the right direction. And so a picture here was God was trying, seeking to get Saul's attention. And, and all this time, on his mind, Saul was thinking, is there something I don't understand? Is something occurring here that I have missed? <laughs> and, and so God worked and brought the greatest enemy of the church to become one of the strongest leaders of the church in Paul. The grave couldn't hold him. The soldiers couldn't protect him. Paul, Paul couldn't destroy the church. And he met the one who is leader of the church, Jesus Christ, and everything changed. There was victory that occurred through Christ. The Bible tells us that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed, it says in Deuteronomy. But then in the book of Galatians, we are told that God broke the curse of the law, redeeming us because of the one who was hung on a tree, which is Jesus Christ, our hope. That is, that is where the victory occurred, where we are set free. I'm going to close with a story. Um, from the times of Napoleon, <laughs> the big battle between the English and the French, the leader of the English, Wellington, was fighting at the Battle of Waterloo. And the English were waiting to hear of the outcome of the battle. And in those days, you know, they didn't have social media or, or cell phones or any quick way to move messages. They had a system they would use, a sailing ship would signal to a specific area and that signal would be passed on and they used coded flags. And when the signal first arrived at Winchester Cathedral, part of the message came out and it said, Wellington defeated. And then a heavy fog set in. And that was all that the people were able to read. 
So there was gloom throughout England for, for several hours because the message they received was Wellington defeated. But finally, the fog cleared up and the message was sent again. They only heard the first part of the message, not the whole message. It was Friday. They didn't realize Sunday's coming. And then the final message came through and it said, Wellington defeated the enemy. Christ defeated the enemy. The, the prophecy that was foretold from the very first book in the place of paradise that had been broken because of sin and that instigator, that serpent, the evil one, our enemy, our foe, uh, the deceiver, the diabolical one. He was conquered at the cross. Victory was finally won. He did everything he could, and I'm sure he was excited as he watched Jesus suffer. But he had no idea how this was going to end. He had no idea that through the apparent defeat of the promised one, Jesus Christ, there would come essential victory. Because it was at that time when the tomb was found empty that the fog lifted and the complete message was revealed. It is our message of hope, church. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 54-57. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Hades, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to the cross and the resurrection, we have the full message. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we are grateful that this day is a day of complete celebration for us. Um, Father, you won the victory. And Lord, that cross could not hold you. I mean, in the, in the grave could not hold you. The cross could not defeat you. Father, it led to your victory, which is our victory. Lord, I love 1 John 5, 5 that tells us who is the one that overcomes the world. Only the one that believes Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the victorious one. Lord, we ask for anyone here who feels totally defeated or broken, Father, to understand that, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate victor, wants to bring you into his victory. <laughs> wants to give you the forgiveness that was won on a cross. Wants to give you hope. Wants to be your friend in this battle here day to day. That he is alive that he, he is there for us. And he asks us, he pleads with us to see his outstretched hand and to receive his love, his forgiveness, and a new start where once broken, once with twisted minds, have an opportunity to find the complete, honest love of God. And so, Father, we just pray that occurs today. May in someone's life who just wants to come to you, who, who's tired of, of trying to do it alone. And, and so, Father, thank you for your invitation. And I just pray we would respond to you because you are the God that is worthy. You are our hope. You are the living one. And in you alone we trust. In his name we pray. Amen.